Good morning, my name is Nick and I'm the associate minister here at Knox and I'm very glad to be here with you worshiping God together. Would you pray with me? Jesus, in this holy season of Lent, we are listening to your words of invitation. And we hear things that we don't always understand. We hear things that we can't comprehend how they might be. We hear things which are difficult, which are harder than we would have chosen or imagined. But we believe that your invitation is good and that your word continues to speak life into our lives and into our world. And so we pray that you would open the words of this scripture to us once more this day, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to know and understand what it is that you're saying to our church, to our community, to us as individuals. We pray this in your name and for your kingdom's sake. Amen. In his book, What's Wrong with the World, the English Catholic apologist G.K. Chesterton wrote, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. This is the very reality that we're grappling with in this season of Lent that Jesus' invitation to follow him is generous and wide and wonderful. The promise of his kingdom lacks nothing that is good for us. But it's also difficult. And all too often when things are difficult, we sort of make do with good enough. But there isn't really a good enough apart from Jesus' way. Because every other way has been tried. And all of them have been found wanting. It is only in the hard way of Jesus Christ that we'll find fulfillment and joy and peace at the last. And it's this tension between the way things are and the way things ought to be, the ways which we've tried and the way of Jesus that he is pointing us toward, which begins the disciples' discussion at the beginning of our reading for today. They ask Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And this may seem random to us, but in the previous chapter, Jesus had just been talking about the kings of the earth. In considering the temple tax, Jesus asks his disciples who the earthly kings tax. Is it their children or is it strangers? And we all know the answers, of course. It's strangers that they tax. And so did his disciples. And after having settled the problem that was apparent in that story, this has obviously left these disciples thinking further. If this is the way that the world works, that there are some who are privileged and others who are imposed upon at best and very often oppressed in reality, how is it in the kingdom of heaven? Who are the sons? And who are the strangers? And they're asking this not just with an eye toward the future. They're asking it for right now, too. Because Jesus, his disciples know, is teaching a new way of living. New values. Bringing about a new society for today. So they must be wondering... Is the way that the kings of the earth operate going to continue? And if so, how? Who will be privileged? Who will be oppressed? 
Alongside of this, we of course know that they're continuing this constant jockeying among themselves for positions of power in that new society, the very kingdom of heaven. We've heard that argument before. They must reason that they've been chosen by the Messiah. There's no question that they're among the sons, that they're among the privileged. But what's the pecking order amongst them? And since, as we heard last week, Jesus is very intent on dying, who's going to be in charge when he's gone? I can just imagine them asking, is it Peter? Because it sure feels like it's going to be Peter. And this is an important question. The disciples aren't being oafish or dull as they ask these things. This is practical. This is necessary. Societies need order. They need ways of stewarding power, of making decisions. And if Jesus isn't going to be here for it, well, then they need some direction. The primary division in Islam, as many of us know, between the Sunni and the Shia, is about precisely this question. Who was to lead when Muhammad wasn't there? The Sunni followed that it was to be his father-in-law and friend, Abu Bakr, whereas the Shia hold that it should have been his son-in-law, Ali. And this has caused countless wars and conflicts ever since. Christianity almost had a split like this too. In 1 Corinthians, we hear that some people are saying, I am of Apollos. And others are saying, I am of Paul. And the apostle shuts that down fast. He says, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? They're both servants, merely servants. And so I hope that you can see that this question made sense for the disciples. They wanted clarity for the future. They wanted to know the way that Jesus' new and better kingdom would be ordered so that they could adhere to it. But of course, as important as that question may be, the way that they've asked it, their concern for who is the greatest, it betrays something within them that Jesus has to correct. So Jesus calls a child, and he puts this child among them. And he says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven belongs to children. This is radical, perhaps even to the point of offense culturally. We often hear in casual conversations that the biblical world was patriarchal, and in some ways it was, though patriarchy in this time is different from the patriarchy that we repent of today. But sex was actually a secondary concern to age, as it still is in many cultures to this day. All else being equal, age was the primary indicator of one's significance in this culture. Elders were to be respected, and a woman a generation above a man was valued more greatly than that man. So imagine the suggestion that the kingdom belonged to children who occupy the lowest level of consideration in their societal hierarchy and in all their calculations of power and worth. Not only does the kingdom belong to ones like this child, but unless they become like children, they will have no part in the kingdom. They must turn and become like children. They must be changed. Because that's not the direction the apostles were headed in. Becoming like children was not even a faint consideration for them. 
And if we're honest, becoming like children isn't a thought that crosses our minds very often either. Now, much has been said about the virtues of children which Christians may do well to adopt. People talk about the innocence of children, the joy of children, the childlike and simple faith of children. And while much of that is likely true and good, Jesus makes it clear the only comparison he's making here. As he says, whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It is the humility of children which Jesus draws there and our attention to. In stark contrast to the disciples' concern for being the greatest, or indeed our concern for reaching some level mark that we've set for ourselves in our careers, for our family life, for our own name's sake. No, Jesus says, don't worry about being the greatest. Become insignificant. Become humble, even humiliated. Become like a child, not in characteristic, but in status. That in the world of hierarchy, it is not the top spot, not the positions of honor, not the title and the prestige and the greatness that we're aiming for. Rather, it's the lowest spot, the position of vulnerability and humiliation. This is the spot that we're directed to by our Lord. Consider the lowliness of children. Others decide when they will sleep and when they will wake or try. Others decide when and what they will eat, what they will wear, where they will go. They cannot earn for themselves or fend for themselves or provide for their households. They require the help of others. They must defer to those who know better than them trusting in reasoning that they cannot yet grasp that it must be good for them anyway. Many of us can remember the resistance that we ourselves put up to against all of these things. Our own longings were to grow up and to take care of ourselves and how we find ourselves in situations that remind ourselves of being childlike and we instantly and instinctively recoil from them. To be treated as a child is still offensive. We are not children. We deserve more than the life that children know, we tell ourselves. And here Jesus says, turn and become like children or you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So we must see plainly that these least are the greatest in Jesus' kingdom. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven are not the decision makers, but those who trust in the Father's will. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven are not the independent, but the admittedly and completely dependent. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven are not the people who got it all figured out, but the people who have more questions than answers and who trust their teacher anyway. In short, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven are not the strong, but the weak not the rich, but the poor, not the wise, but the foolish, not the accomplished, but the forgotten and the nameless, like this very child who stands in their midst, who we know nothing about. But it's actually more than just that the least are the greatest. It's actually that the least are the only. 
the only people in Jesus' new kingdom, the only ones who enjoy the kingdom of heaven today or in the future day when that kingdom is in every place forever and ever, are the least of these, are like little children. There's an egalitarian nature to the kingdom of heaven because when all is said and done, it's the least who are left. Unless we are changed and become like children, we will never enter the kingdom. Jesus is telling us to enter the kingdom of heaven fully in the future and to participate in its reality today. We must accept an inferior position. That's a hard invitation. Nobody's looking to become less than what they are. But the truth is that in God's kingdom, the only positions are inferior positions. Because all glory and honor are due to God alone. It's a pretty flat structure in this organizational drawing. You've got the greatest, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the name above every other name, the very triune God of grace. And then you've got the least, everybody else. And as long as we're trying to be better than our neighbor, greater than our sister and brother, we've missed the memo that there is only one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. God is the greatest. And as long as we believe that we have significance apart from God, wisdom apart from the Spirit, salvation apart from the Lamb, protection other than the Most High, then we are still participating in some other kingdom, whether that's Rome's or our own. But there's no dual citizenship or divided loyalty in Jesus' new kingdom. The way of thinking which is concerned about greatness, significance, status, and accomplishment, the very ways of thinking that our city and our world forms and disciples in so many of us. It's no way to enter the kingdom of heaven. To enter the kingdom, you must become like the least because it's only the least who realize they need it. It's children who know that they need help. We all need help, and we've all forgotten it along the way. Like children, we enter the kingdom by recognizing our helplessness, recognizing our very great need, and choosing to give up on our own projects and obey the one who knows better than us all. We become one of the least, which is the highest rank there is in the kingdom of heaven, because only the least enjoy its goodness. The kingdom of heaven is good news. But the invitation to it sounds costly, difficult for us to accept who like making decisions, who like being self-sufficient, who like that others turn to us and defer to us. But Jesus offers some assurance to his friends and to us who may struggle with these words, as, who, as he says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Jesus is identifying himself with children. Jesus is reminding us that he was changed, that the eternal Son of God emptied himself, took the form of a servant, and being made in human likeness, 
he humbled himself, becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus didn't just become like a child, he became a child. And he lived even as he grew, entirely dependent on his Father and the Spirit, obedient to his Father's will. He accepted a position of inferiority and asks us today to go nowhere and do nothing apart from that which he has first done for us. In following him, we will find the good life which his way leads us to. His is a hard way that leads to death, death to self, but life to God. His way is a way of resurrection. But more than reminding those disciples and us of the change in his own story, Jesus, by this invitation, encourages them that all who welcome one such child welcomes him that there is blessing to be found in receiving children and the childlike. And we are invited to comfort and care for the vulnerable around us, those who are least by no choice of their own or because they have chosen the way of being least for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. It's only in becoming like the least that we have the meaningful opportunity to welcome such children in Jesus' name. Jesus welcomes us by becoming like us and sends us to go and do likewise. If we try to welcome others, care for the needs of others while clinging to the vestiges of our own greatness, we'll keep them at a distance, intentionally or unintentionally, and we'll miss their very real needs. By becoming like the least, Even like a little child, we become imitators of Christ and we're welcomed to his kingdom and we become equipped to welcome still others in his name. Dear friends, working for our own glory, making decisions on our own, going it alone, these are the ways which have been tried and they have time and again been found wanting. The invitation of Christ, hard though it is, is to become like children, to choose to be inferior, seeking the glory of the Father, obeying his will, trusting his provision for us. And as we do this to find not only are we children and inheritors of a kingdom, but we may welcome many more into this better way where truly the least are the greatest. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. I want to invite you to consider how the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you, inviting you to become like children. And so a couple of reflection questions. The first is, how are you still pursuing your greatness? What would taking a lower position look like in your life? And then secondly, what opportunities do you have to welcome little ones in Jesus' name?